Well, honestly, it was the fact that I failed at that Mm -hmm. for the first 10 years of my career working for another CPA firm. Mm -hmm. I missed my children growing up for a decade, literally, because all I did was work and I had great remorse. I could see the, you know, the pain in their eyes. It affected my wife. It affected all of our relationships. Even to this day, Mm -hmm. I have not been able to make up for you know, a decade of just really not being there. This podcast is sponsored by Engineered Tax Services, a subsidiary of Engineered Advisory, whose goal is to support CPAs and their clients to achieve the highest and best use of time and resources. ETS offers specialty tax services and incentives, which help expand your capabilities and ensure that your clients are paying only what is required in taxes and nothing more. To learn more about Engineered Tax Services, go to engineeredtaxservices.com and mention the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast to receive project discounts and a free CPA partnership ebook. Hi, everyone. This is Heidi Henderson, and you are listening to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast for accountants. I am really passionate about people and the industry, and I truly believe that the accounting industry can do better for both our clients and its professionals. So I'm going to share insights from people who have found professional success and who have managed to balance that with their physical, mental, and personal health. So I hope you enjoy, and I hope you get inspired. Accountants can earn free CPE from listening to this episode. Just visit earmarkcpe.com, download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. And now, on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Heidi Henderson here. And our guest today is Steve Adams. And I am real excited to talk with Steve today because as some interesting background, Steve, coincidentally, has been my personal CPA for many years. <laughs> I think I think uh, over 15 years, I think, Steve, maybe longer. And there's a reason for that. It, being in the space that I personally am in, we're always looking at people who are our, our consultants who have sort of that out-of-the-box thought process and really looking to solve problems to consult and to look for opportunities. And Steve always had that mindset in my conversations with him from early on meeting him. And the other side of it on a personal note is Steve just has the biggest heart. He always has this attitude of, I just want to help. How can I help you? But I think that 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 mentality is what Steve made you an amazing CPA and has made you a CPA because, um, you know, people care that you care. And I think because you do have that empathy with your clients, it gave you that that mindset to always be looking at how you could truly help them, not just in preparing their tax returns, but in strategy. And so with that said, as background, Steve had started his own firm, Adams and Peterson, and has run a very successful firm here in Utah for a number of years. I'm going to let him kind of fill you in on the details so he can share his story about how he got there. He has recently retired, which is interesting, um, but shifting gears a little bit more into a consulting space. But I'm thrilled to work with Steve. I'm thrilled to have the relationship and to be able to interview him because I think here at Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise for accountants, 
he brings that full spectrum of the expertise as a CPA, as well as being able to balance his life, his family, his faith, his health, and all of those things. And that's really what I'm hoping to kind of drill into. How did you do that? How'd you manage it, Steve? So that's where we're going today. So with that, Steve, how about you give us a brief introduction about you know, where you started? I love your story of how you became a CPA and started your firm. So tell us that story first. Well, thank you, Heidi. And just glad to be here. And thank you for this invitation. Um, I appreciate your kind words. So yeah, my um, <laughs> my career, if you will, in public accounting began right as I kind of graduated from college. Uh, I went to uh, Weber State College in Ogden, Utah. And back in the day, job ads were placed in newspapers. And I saw this job ad for a two to three year CPA, experienced CPA. Uh, for a firm in Salt Lake City. I did not have any experience. I was just right out of college and thought, well, I'm just going to go down there and and uh, try to land a job. And I went in there and uh, found the building and walked upstairs and opened the door. And right as I opened the door, I noticed there were about 10 people just standing there all talking together. They opened the, I, I popped my head in and they all stopped and just stared at me. And I had this kind of awkward moment and I just looked down at my watch and I said, am I late to the meeting? And they thought that was, <laughs> you know, pretty funny and they laughed and, you know, and anyway, um, the managing partner actually stopped the meeting and sat down with me in a conference room, um, talked with me and said, Hey, you're not what we're looking for as far as experience goes, but you should be in marketing. Why are you going into accounting? And I said, well, accounting mm -hmm. is challenging, but it's about helping people. And, and it's about selling, if you will, you know, services and help, uh, you know, relationships and strategies to people, isn't it? You know, and I said, so almost every day, uh, you are some type of a salesperson or a people person in accounting. Uh, if you want to think of it that way. And so I walked out of there with a job and had no experience and, you know, spent 10 years uh, working with them and had a great time, learned a lot of, of good and learned a lot of things that I would do differently. And that kind of motivated me. Uh, and, and there's a story along kind of the, uh, the timeline there that we can talk a little bit more about the healthy side of things. But, um, you know, I finally got myself to a point where I needed to break off and do my own thing. And so after 10 years, I started a, my own little firm, ran it for five years and then joined up with a business partner and uh, became Adams and Peterson and went from there. And so I spent 35 years in public accounting, which I often tell people felt like 95 years because we just worked a lot, <laughs> you know, it was just, yeah. it was just fun. But yeah, yeah I've always had this um, you know, desire to, you know, to help people because regardless of what you're doing uh, with money, finances, tax returns, there, it's always tied into people. There's people behind the scenes. So yeah. that's kind of a quick, quick rundown. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a perfect introduction. And to your point, that's exactly right. I mean, I think sometimes we lose sight of the people behind the numbers, especially in the accounting industry. And I think, again, that's why I was excited to interview you, because I know you have that perspective. But back to spending 10 years with this firm, and then you sort of spun off and started your own firm. What, that is a huge leap of faith. 
I mean, a huge leap of faith. And tell us a little bit of what went through your mind and what possessed you, I guess, to take that step and want to branch out on your own. Great question. Yeah, I, like I said, I I really loved the people I worked with. I loved the clients there. There wasn't any sort of job dissatisfaction, but it just, it, it came clear to me that I had a different direction and I wanted to help people in maybe a little different way than how, uh, you know, they were structured. And so, uh, you know, the opportunity came and, uh, you know, and I took it, but yeah, it was just, uh, it, it was definitely a leap of faith. The, the first year I was in business on my own, uh, when I had formed Steve Adams CPAPC, I ended the year with $400 in my bank account. And Oh, I wow. had, I really had not paid myself that whole year. Uh, and I had left a career or, you know, with a, jo- a job that had great benefits. I was paid really well. Everything was comfortable. There was no logical mm-hmm. reason, if you will, for me to make uh, a move like that. Um, I was a manager in tax and auditing. I was a I, I had both skill sets. Um, back in the day, we didn't have the division of two separate, you know, operations of tax versus audit. So I could run the gamut and everything was great. I really enjoyed it, but I had this opportunity to kind of do my own thing. And I just felt like I should take that, that and run and, and have, uh, you know, I just had this itch. And so that's what, that's what kind of got me going. Plus I knew I could help people the way I wanted to, again, the firm I left was, um, was great, but they had a little different mentality. It was kind of, a each of the partners operated kind of as a silo. So even though they were a firm, they really kind of ate what they killed for lack of better, um, mm. words. And it became sometimes a power struggle between, well, the main managing founding partner, if one of his clients needed something, then everybody else just took a back seat. And it didn't matter mm-hmm. if somebody else was in line beforehand to get taken care of. All of a sudden, you know, it became, you know, the, the kind of the internal joke uh, was kind of like a, a what we call WIFO, which was the the main manager's last name W. WIFO, his stuff in first, his stuff out last. It, it, it didn't matter. It was always his stuff. It did. It just he he became kind of the uh, benevolent dictator and everybody else took a back seat. But I realized that everybody needs to be served and serviced, not just the managing partner and their, their clients, mm-hmm. it, everybody needed that. And so I, I took that and yeah. changed it. And I actually formed a firm where we meet, you know, every week with uh, the list of clients and we take care of those that need to be taken care of. It doesn't matter if they're a huge client or a smaller client, we get them taken care mm-hmm. of because of the people factor. Okay, nice. Well, tell tell me a little bit, if you don't mind sharing, and you may not want to share revenue numbers or whatnot, which is okay, but tell me a little bit, uh, you know, as your firm matured, yeah. uh, I know that you were in one of the top rankings of firms in Utah. Yeah. I watched you grow from a small firm to building your beautiful building and and being a larger firm right off the freeway, really nice exposure. So tell me a little bit about how that firm grew and and before you retired, uh, what you had achieved. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
So yeah, we were we were ranked by Utah Business Magazine in the top twenty firms uh, in in Utah. We you know were competing against multi uh, you know regional firms and uh, you know national firms, and so we had a great you know for little Davis County, Utah. We you know we were and still are, in my opinion, that you know the premier smaller firm. We you know twenty five employees. I started out with just me a part-time, um, accountant and a part-time admin person and, you know, mm-hmm. ran it and grew it and brought in a, you know, a good business partner, brought in good staff looking for the right people. We learned really quickly that hiring the right person to fit in with the firm culture often would be more important than somebody with a specific skill set that seemed Right. And so we wanted people working for us like that. Yeah. And not to interrupt, but on that point, how how did you do that? What what would you say was your means for identifying people that you felt like would fit in with your culture? Great question. So one of the things, obviously, we wanted to find out how well they knew their accounting. So we gave them actually a a really simple little test that uh, they had Mm -hmm. to fill out without looking online or anything. Uh, we would kind of just watch and see how they kind of handled that stress in filling out this little 10 question, you know, some yes, no, true, false, debit, credit. They could tell us really quickly if somebody was just talking the talk or if they knew their stuff. So that helped us to kind of mm-hmm. get get through that. But um, we would we would notice their, um, you know, their demeanor. We would ask a lot of questions, uh, we call them kind of the, you know, the stay questions, you know, what does it get you? What, what motivates you? What, tell us where you see yourself in five or 10 years. So we would really ask a lot of questions that helped us to identify somebody who was going to be a team player with the firm versus somebody who just had their self-interest at, at, you know, at heart, and they really didn't want to be part of a team. We took a team approach. We we weren't hiring individuals uh, to do their own thing. We wanted people who could work within the team. And if you analyze it to a basketball team, sometimes the point guards bring in the ball down the court, sometimes not. You know, and and it just depends yeah. on be where you need to be in position and play what you need to play. Come in when we need you to come in, and be part of a team. And so. Yeah, we we learned really quickly. We actually hired a lot of people from a CPA firm that we bought and merged their practice in with ours. The culture it was a shock to them. And, and, and you <laughs> yeah, know, that can be hard transition. Yeah, it was a very hard transition. And so most of those people did not last, you know, mm. in, in our firm because we have a lot of systems. We want people that think outside of the box and um, don't want to take work as just a, a country club thing where you show up at. 11 o'clock and go home at two, you know, and uh, yeah, we, we had to work. And so, yeah, we definitely yeah. put a lot of time into talking with people before we hired them and then trying to mentor them as we hired them and work with them, tell them to be patient, give themselves some time to learn how we operate and, you know, just be a mm-hmm. team player. Yeah, I mean, culture is so important because you can have someone with the the wrong attitude, and it's incredible how they can damage the whole firm Correct. and the staff uh, with conversations and with attitudes and and personality traits and things like that. So, yeah, I, I have found that 
I agree that in hiring, it seems that personality and culture fit are as important as the technical skills in many cases for sure for building that culture. So, you know, the accounting space is, is, you know, it's competitive. I mean, you're out there and when we look at just simply tax preparation, that can be a commodity and it's, you know, what's the, what's the lowest bidder in terms of the price that you're going to charge for a tax return or tax prep? And I think I know the answer to this question because I worked with you and it's why I worked with you. But I want you to answer the question about what was the biggest differentiator? How did you differentiate yourself in the market? to your prospects or clients? And how did you grow the firm and really continue to carry that, um, I guess, that persona of what your firm represented? Yeah, great question. So several arms, if you will, to that octopus, if, if that makes any sort of sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, one of the things that we really wanted our clients to understand upfront is we were here to advise and have relationships and help give best business practices. We want to be there. We don't want to just do transactions. If you want somebody that is just going to kick out a 1040 tax return and that's all you want, then go to TurboTax, go to H&R Block, go to your cousin down the street that works in their basement. That's great. You know, I mean, there's, yeah. there's plenty of, yep. but I found out that if we didn't have expectations for what our clients were expected to do and what we promised to do for our clients, if we didn't have that set up front, there was oftentimes a misalignment and they weren't happy yeah. and we weren't happy. And so we really fine-tuned a lot of processes and procedures for onboarding clients and mm -hmm. making sure there was a good fit. And sometimes we would have to say to somebody, we're probably not a good fit. And I think a lot of times CPA firms are so afraid to turn away business, they just are grasping for anything that they can get, that they're oftentimes yeah. taking on difficult clients, that it's not a healthy, you know, working relationship. Plus, our clients knew up front that our staff is our number one asset. Our, we love our clients, but if you belittle our staff, if you're rude, you know, angry, causing problems for our staff, we will fire you as a client because our employees, our staff, our people are, are number one to us and, and we want to protect oh. them. So, yeah. Well, that, you know, it's so interesting you say that because I think that actually leads into kind of this segue I want to go into until kind of current market conditions and going through COVID and now looking at, you know, being understaffed in almost every industry, including the CPA industry, finding that we're understaffed and not having the people to do the work. But then secondhand, I think that the staff and the generation that's upcoming has a much different perspective on work and work-life balance and the time that they're willing to put in and needing to have time to live their lives and not having their work dictate everything. Uh, so it, it ties to client retention. So, I mean, in many firms right now, we have firms that are firing their, their C and D level sort of clients, the ones that are difficult or the ones that 
you know, have certain issues because they don't have capacity. I think it's fascinating because of your personality of wanting to help people. That probably was not an easy thing to say no or to walk away from a client or potential client. But I really appreciate and respect your perspective on the value of your employees and being willing to do that, even if it's not just for you or lining your pockets, but for how your clients are treating those employees. Um, so that's one question I have for you. This segue is really about then how do you handle with your staff keeping them happy? But I'll, I'll sort of secondarily add to that question that that has to do with having a heavy workload. We know that in, in the accounting space, we have tax season where sometimes it requires major hours, long hours, long days, long weeks. How do you handle that and balance that with staff and keeping up with workloads when maybe you're understaffed and undermanned and hours are difficult? So, you know, and, and maintaining that um, uh, maintaining that culture. I know that's loaded. And again, to your point, you know, an octopus with lots of legs, but I think you kind of get the concept of what I'm asking. Yes. No, great, great question. So when I began in public accounting, it was like the first year that we were dealing with the 1986 tax reform act and we were doing everything by hand and it required mm -hmm. these big horse blanket spreadsheets, the 13 column, by pen, pencil, 10 key, no computer, doing the accounting by hand, uh, doing the tax return by hand. And it required us to physically be at the office. And I would work countless days around the clock, you know, 24 hour, get in early, stay late, not go home because it, it just, that's what the work, uh, you know, required during a certain period of time. And then I would make up for that in the summers by, you know, I worked hard in the winter and played hard in the summer. And mm -hmm. so as technology began to change, uh, you know, we realized that we have to keep on top of that and utilize that in ways to help our staff feel more job satisfaction and be able to balance their work life. And so you mentioned COVID when COVID hit, we were still the typical CPA firm of having everybody in the office working. We would bring in dinner every night. Uh, you know, it was right in the middle of tax season when, uh, you know, about March 20, I can't remember, it was in the middle of March sometime yep. when all of a sudden yep. we got word we're shutting everything down. Well, we had also worked, I had a vision. I knew that we needed to get rid of all this paper. We needed to be able to, um, electronic and we had constant problems with a on-site server. So for years mm -hmm. before COVID hit, we moved to cloud-based everything. So, and electronics so that I could literally be sitting on a beach in Maui. And as long as I had a browser connection, I could connect and do whatever I needed to do, even as though I were sitting at the office. Well, when COVID hit, we looked at each other and we said, okay, unplug your computers, take them home. They basically were just browser computers that, you know, kind of a dummy, if you will, mm -hmm. computer, because they just needed to have access and monitors. Basically we've spent more on monitors. Most of our staff would had like four monitors. We said, just take that stuff home. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you can't be yep. here. Mm -hmm. And so we transitioned without a hiccup. It was, it, we, we were very fortunate to have prepared ourselves for that. And then as things started going and I realized that the staff were, they were thriving being at home because they didn't have commute time. 
They could disconnect and be with their families for dinner, where before it became very difficult because we were bringing dinners in. And as this mm -hmm. evolved, I kept saying to myself, I'm not sure that I want them back in the office. I, I don't know that it's in their best interest. And so we would encourage them to come to the office if they wanted to, if they needed a break, if they were feeling too disconnected, they would have a space, but otherwise they could stay and work from home. And we would, you know, a lot of times uh, before we got to that point, our staff didn't believe us when we would say, hey, if you have a family event, your child has a fifth birthday, I don't want to see you here. Go home. And I would actually have to say that to the spouse, whether it was a husband of a female employee <laughs> or the wife of a male mm -hmm. employee. I would say to the spouse, if your husband or wife is not home with you and your family, you cannot look at me because I will have already <laughs> given the okay for them to go. You need to get after them and drag them. I actually kicked a few of our employees out to go home when I found out they weren't home. And, and I realized that that, you know, that small break of gave them wind in their sails. And I was always fearful to do that in my old firm. It was like, if I wasn't there, I was in trouble. And I just didn't, you know, I just didn't want that. And also, you know, for anybody out here who's listening, we spent a lot of time sending little gifts and things to the spouse of oh wow our of our employees so uh, like a gift card or Miki couture blankets or um <laughs> dinner night date movie night like things ever. yeah you know <laughs> yeah we we would send that we tell them thank you because you are just as important to our firm as the employee mm -hmm. is because wow. we need you guys to be bought into this both of you you know your family and if we're out of alignment let's figure it out and we also gave employees opportunities to go from full-time to part-time when they're, we wanted them to stay with us forever. And when their career needed to change because of a birth, a death, a marriage, a divorce, whatever it was, if they needed to switch, we would say, look, rather than quitting, let's figure out some way to work with you and keep you employed. And so we, we wow. definitely did a lot of thinking outside of the box from the traditional mindset. Yeah, for sure. Well, how did that translate into retention with those employees? Very few, very little turnover. Um, to yeah. be honest with you, yeah, we felt very fortunate. I mean, in fact, we even had, t we had times when people were like, well, I got to quit. I'm moving down to Price, Utah. Actually, you don't need to quit. Just take your computer with <laughs> you and keep working. And, and it's like, wow. I, I can do that. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> instead of having one office in Clearfield, Utah, we had 25 or so because we had 25 people working sometimes remote, some in St. George. We hired people that had never stepped foot in our office. And wow. so the technology is great, you know, in, in that regard. Yeah, that's, that, that's amazing because, you know, one of the things that I'm hoping to just discuss with some of our firms is the change in the industry as a whole, that there are fewer people graduating with degrees in accounting. There are fewer people willing to go into the profession because of tax season and the, the heavy workloads that are associated with tax season. I was meeting with a firm out of New York and a gentleman who's been a managing partner for many years who was really struggling with the mentality that some of his staff 
were not willing to work some of those long hours and that they wanted to work from home because he had come up, just like you were explaining, in an industry where for him to make it pave the way for his career, he had to work around the clock 24 hours a day for weeks on end during tax season. And he felt like that was some type of initiation. And, you know, not saying that that's right, wrong or indifferent, I think that the change or the sort of where we're going in the industry now is that the younger generations and younger people that are coming up in the industry are just not willing to do that. And they they typically will not stay. You don't have um, that retention that you discussed. And so I think that you having that flexibility has probably really been uh, huge for your firm and for your growth because of that. You know, and, and I think, too, kudos to you for being open to that, because, as I said, I've had many conversations with people who have really struggled with people not willing to work around the clock. Do you still see some of that with your staff? Are they still putting in some of those long hours? And, and maybe is your flexibility and care of them and their families converting into more willingness for them to work those long hours when needed? Great question. And. Yes, we've um, we've instituted several policies, and I, I would say systems that evolve into goals. Where I realized after busy season, why not from the first part of May all through the summer until the September fifteenth deadline? Why not just shut the office down on Friday? And yeah. not have a requirement for people to work. If you want to work on Friday, that's your choice. But we would prefer that you take Friday off, be with your family, have a long weekend, come back with wind in your sails on Monday. So several years ago, that became one of our things was, okay, I, I remember the other, your, your friend in New York, I, I, I felt, I feel his pain. I feel the pain of those who <laughs> worked really hard yeah, and feel like there is this initiation. But I also realized times and things have changed. It's not the same. We don't typically go across the country riding a train or in a horse and buggy. We're pretty much now using airplanes, right? Or Zoom yeah. for that matter. You know, we're physically here, but we yeah. can connect with somebody in New York via Zoom. And so I had to, it was hard as a managing partner to get rid of that old school mentality and try to put myself in the place of these 20 some odd year olds that are coming out of college and 30 year olds that, you know, have been around for a little bit. They, I would try so hard to understand each, what made each of them tick. If the thing that made them tick was working their tails off, we gave them a green light, go ahead. If the thing that made them tick was I just, I, I'm going to do good work, but I need time to be with my family. Then we made sure we did that within some, you know, understanding and parameters so that there wasn't, okay. you know, we can't just have uh, people just not working, but we can be flexible in that. And, and this is why yeah. we loved the chance of people going home during busy seasons, because they could mm -hmm. then spend time from maybe five to seven or five to eight o'clock at night with their family, get kids tucked in bed or go you know, review homework. If that, if that was their thing, or if they don't have kids, yeah. they go out and be with their spouse or significant other or whatever. <laughs> and then they can log back in, um, you know, later on at night, they don't have to come back to the office. And so we tried really hard to find out 
every year we would do a performance review and ask them, how do you feel? What is going on? What has changed? How can we help you meet your goals? We want to know what you're concerned about, what makes you tick, and has it changed from last year? And um, we would also have, you know, staff meetings where we would try to drill down. And, and so, yeah, there's, you know, there is this mentality of the industry requires these deadlines. There's not much we can do about it. But also for anybody out there listening, if you recall, COVID extended the deadline and made yep. two very long, busy seasons. Well, we handled that. You know, <laughs> it just made one, yeah, one yeah, long, consistent yeah, yeah. season that never ended. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was just, it was crazy. But we realized sometimes we push so hard. We had this goal at one time to not extend any April 15th tax returns. If you got us your stuff, we were going to get it in. Mm. Found out really quickly that was killing us. It was killing our <laughs> staff and clients would wait until, you know, the, the 14th to send something and think we're going to get it done by the 15th. <laughs> so we yep. put an end to that. We said, look, we started having very proactive um, that we, we set a system in place where if you did not have your April 15th information to us prior to the end of March, our clients knew they were automatically going to get extended. We would work through an extension calculation to try to reduce any penalties or interest, mm -hmm. but the extension is just fine for you to file the paperwork. And we had to do a lot of training of those clients to understand that. And that yeah. really helped. But COVID also helped us to show them See, there's there's ways to deal with this where you do not have to have this management by crisis. The world, the sky does not fall and end on April 15th. We've got some time. <laughs> yeah. Let's take advantage. Yeah, that's, I mean, that that's, that's a huge perspective. And I really appreciate what you're saying is the importance of essentially training your clients, setting the expectation up front and communicating with them to understand what is required of them in order for you to be able to perform. And I think, you know, there's a lot of firms that probably can learn from that in really focusing on pro being proactive. And of course, back to being overloaded and understaffed, proactivity can be a struggle sometimes as well. Um, but, you know, I, th I think you hit the nail on the head with, with clearly setting those expectations. Back to a comment that you were making with your staff and having that empathy that you carry for understanding their families and their kids and those important moments in their lives. I think also understanding how much impact that has on their mental well-being and their happiness, which essentially translates oftentimes to longevity with your firm. Let's now switch this back to you, Steve. I want to put the, put a little pressure on you personally. You know, what caused Steve to have this empathy, empathy and to be able to kind of put yourself in their shoes and look at it from that perspective, thinking about their families, their spouses, their kids, and those things. What is it about Steve that drove that? Yeah. Well, honestly, it was the fact that I failed at that mm -hmm. for the first 10 years of my career working for another CPA firm. Mm -hmm. I missed my children growing up for a decade, literally, because all I did was work. And I had great remorse. I could see the you know, the pain in their eyes, it affected my wife, it affected all of our relationships. Even to this day, mm. I have not been able to make up for 
um, you know, a decade of just really not being there and when, wow. when our children, uh, you know, were young. And so when I see these young kids who are getting married or, you know, whatever their situation is, um, you know, maybe they aren't married, but they have, you know, a dog or they have pets or, you know, we want to be aware of what is important in your life. And I just realized that the money will come eventually, but the people will, will stay if you treat them like people and not as, you know, not as a property or as just a project. If you're really concerned with them and the people in their world looking for ways to, um, you know, make their lives easier again, um, I highly recommend recognizing spouses, Mm. sending something home. We would have things delivered to their houses. If we knew a spouse during COVID, I I don't know how many DoorDash dinners I sent (laughs) to to staff. That's because, amazing. <laughs> yeah. It just costs it, you know, and, and, it, you know, and, and then they, they, they loved it because we, we knew that husband and wife and all, and their two kids were home mm-hmm. all with COVID and yeah. they were struggling oh, and they, they, and so we would find out, okay, let's door dash some meals. Let's get well, them, you know, some stuff, tell them to take the time that they need. Um, you know, I was obnoxious here in Utah, we get big snowstorms and I would send texts early in the morning. Cause I'm up, look, if it's treacherous safety first, don't come, don't think you got to be to the office by 8am. Hmm. Get here when you can, your safety is more important. If you can't get here, that's fine. If we just shut yeah. the doors down because it's bad, that's fine. We, you know, so we have to roll with the punches, you know, a little bit and realize, you know, the old, uh, who moved my cheese book kind of concept, (laughs) things change and you got to be willing to, to change with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and your, your first response there, just about realizing that you miss time with your kids. I mean, that's, that's poignant. Uh, I mean, I, I feel that when you say those words and realize, you know, and I think my kids being in their twenties seem to have such a huge importance placed on memories and moments and experiences more so than committing, you know, a massive part of their careers to their jobs and their work lives. And at first I really struggled with that because, you know, I have a little bit of an old school mentality, but the longer this continues, the more I see the light in that um, and the benefit to people and families, relationships to children. Uh, And I so appreciate and respect that perspective. talking back, you know, back about you as well. There's another thing that's always been really interesting about you that I've respected. And that is that you have always clearly taken the time or, you know, what seems like a priority to take care of yourself physically. You're a, you're a strong, healthy guy. Um, you know, we're, we're friends on social media. So, you know, he's got his passion. Steve is a Harley guy and, uh, he likes to get on his Harley and get outdoors. And, uh, you know, seems that exercise and fitness has been something really important. How have you managed to incorporate that in your life? Not only being a CPA, working through tax season, managing a firm, managing employees, and still doing that. That, that is a great question. In fact, I'm glad you didn't know me during the first, um, like about seven years when I worked in Salt Lake City. Mm. As you can imagine, I got into a routine where 
we ate lunch every day at what was then the uh, Crossroads Mall in downtown Salt Lake City. Mm. And it was fast food, Wendy's, French fries, you know, full sugared Coke, um, shake, you know, the afternoon, Dr. Pepper, Snickers bar. <laughs> I went to it, you know, I slowly started putting on this weight and I didn't realize it until I went to Las Vegas with my family. My kids were young and we got to this place. I think it was, a, was there a circus circus? Yeah, or, yeah probably. Know, there was some place. <laughs> Good place to take and, kids. And... <laughs> So I stood, they had this thing where they would either guess your age or guess your weight. Oh. And so I told the lady, I said, guess my weight. And she kind of wrote down the number that she thought I weighed. And I had these, I had this really big sweatshirt on. I stepped on the scale and it was 200 pounds. Mm. Now, my frame does, I'm not a 200 pound, and this was not good 200 pounds. This was... <laughs> Just overweight. Oh, I, wow. I, and she looked at me and she goes, where are you hiding that? Wow. I mean, she literally was, she literally woke me up right then. And I looked at myself and I said, I should literally, for my friend, I should be about 165, 160. I'm 40 pounds overweight. Wow. I went home from that and it affected me so much that what I did was I just set this system in place where it didn't matter what time I got home at night, it didn't matter what the weather was, I was going to walk around the block. So for that, for the next literally, uh, and I think uh, this happened like in October. Um, right before the, winter. The, all through the, <laughs> yeah, right before winter, all during busy season, I would get home literally, and this is not a joke, sometimes two or three in the morning and I would go on a walk. I would walk. I, I, I promised myself that I would not miss a day. Wow. Well, it began with just being able to walk around the block. Then it was walk around two blocks. Then I thought, well, I can run this. Eventually I worked at this every day till every day when I came home, didn't matter what time I ran three miles. And wow. I, I, I all of a sudden, one of my neighbors one day in the summer, so this had gone on for seven, eight months in the summer, he saw me out running and he said, Steve, tell me about your, and I told him all this running I'd been doing and stuff. And he goes, you have a huge base of miles. Let's go on a 10 mile run. And I looked at Jeff and I said, no way. I went on a 10 mile run with this dude and I ran better than he did. And he was, wow. a, and anyway, bottom line is <laughs> it opened my eyes. And so from that point on, I decided I had to have these systems in place. Mm. If I had a goal to lose 40 pounds or 50 pounds or 60 pounds, whatever, I would never have accomplished it if I didn't have a system of, all right, every day, just do some sort of exercise, no matter what time you got home, just yeah. do it. Yeah. Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And so that, um, I just realized that there's time to keep yourself healthy and that it, and all of a sudden I had more mental clarity. I had more confidence. That's what also gave me the confidence to start my own firm because before then I, I really didn't have the, the confidence to kind of go out and do that. I thought I, I was just this puppet and, and mm -hmm. I had to, I kind of got, I kind of got sucked into a routine of working for somebody else and I lost myself in that process. Wow. And so I had to get back. And anyway, so bottom line is, uh, yeah, I now love to keep active. I have systems in place every day to keep me going and just try to enjoy life. And you, you can do it, but there's got to be that work-life balance. Yeah.
And is that something that you you literally just set down a commitment that you were doing that every day, no matter what, and that no yep. no excuse, no no exactly you know, catastrophic snowstorm or anything else was going to did, get in the way? Did not matter. I, I was committed because I just I saw myself on a trajectory that was not good, you know, for health. And and I knew I needed to take control of it. I didn't exactly know how. I didn't know at the beginning that walking around the block would eventually lead to me being able to run 10 miles, which eventually led me into running several St. George marathons and what we call Crazy Bob's mountain run. This is a 12 <laughs> mile up, up a mountain and down a mountain. And, and all, you know, so I loved it. It just, it, it opened up a whole new world and I just realized I don't want to ever lose that. So I just got to keep at it. And well, wow. it just happened. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting because, you know, to your point, there are so many people who say, well, I hate it. I hate to exercise. It's horrible. I can't stand it or I can't run. I just don't have the ability to run. And it's so fascinating to hear your story that you just started by walking around the block and it was never even a goal to do anything else. It wasn't a goal that I'm going to run a marathon at some point. It was that you committed to walking around the block every night. And then over a process of time, it evolved into, you know, running a marathon or, a, you know, a long distance run or something. I mean, that's that's fascinating to me because I think it it absolutely highlights the the value of habit. I think forming habit right. and you just get in the process, but it is committing that no matter what at a certain time, whether that's first thing in the morning you know, like for me, it's interesting. I have to get up and do it first thing in the morning before I do anything else. If I don't, I won't ever. <laughs> I can push it off and say, I'm going to do it this evening or I'll do it later. And and everything else takes precedence. Um, you know, for you, that was the evening. I don't think I would have the willpower to do it if I'd worked all day and it was two o'clock in the morning and convinced myself to go out for a walk. Um, but I respect that and that how that worked for you you know, I think that's the key is that whatever it is that works for you, it's setting that commitment and creating those habits that just kind of evolve and grow from there. So it's really fascinating. I love hearing it, how you progress yeah. through that. Exactly. If you set those, those systems in place to reach those habits and to reach those goals and you just do it. Um, in fact, this boss of mine, as he saw me losing weight, he thought I was sick. He said, oh? did you catch some sort of disease or something? And, <laughs> you know, and I said, no, I'm just, I'm losing weight. He wondered what was going on. I, wow. in Utah, you have a place called Mr. Mac where you can buy these cheap suits. They have lifetime <laughs> alterations. I went in to have these suits altered and they argued with me that they weren't my suits. There's wow. no way you bought these suits and these are somebody else's. And I said, no, check your records. These are the suits I bought when I weighed 200 pounds. Wow. I need the free lifetime alterations because I'm down to 150. And it's, a, it's, and, and so it, it was very shocking to a lot of people. And, yeah. And it was a healthy 150. You know, it was, it was yeah. one of those things where it just needed to get there. Yeah. Amazing. And so, how or what impact, if any, has that had on? your colleagues, on your partners, on your staff? I mean, has that, I mean, maybe there's nothing, but I'm curious if that had an impact on the people around you that maybe inspired them. You know, I, I hope so. Um, I carried this into my, you know, the firm that I started and I always uh, 
told the staff before we even had the health insurance that would cover going to a gym. I said, I'll pay for you to go to a gym mm. and for your membership. And I said, and then I would talk about these things that I would do and I would see some of them and I would try to explain how to keep it going. And I'd see them struggle for a little while and they would give up. And so, I don't know, it, it, it is hard. There were some that kept at it, but you know, all you can do is try to be an example and talk to people yeah. that want to listen. I had several reach out to me and say, how do I do this? How do I do that? And I would, you know, I, I'm not an expert, but I would give them some good ideas. And I'd say, you know what? You ought to go to a gym and get with a trainer, get with a nutritionist, mm-hmm. talk to your doctor, get some, you know, get some ideas here going and, and, and do some things rather than just stay on this trajectory where, you know, if you keep going like this. And I even said to a few of them, I said, you, you want to be healthy for your grandchildren and even your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you need to do here? How can I help, believe it or not, to, you know, help you be, make these goals? And so sometimes you lead a horse, if you will, to water and it won't drink. Well, <laughs> yep. you know, that's all you can do, right? Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's so true. It is so true, you know, and, it, it, and it's each of our individual journeys. But I was really curious as to the impact. And I would imagine that there were, you know, that there's been at least, you know, one or a few people who have been inspired and impacted by your care and empathy towards their well-being as a whole, as whole as a whole person versus just as an employee. And uh, so that's amazing. And, you know, to kind of wrap up, this ultimately is, again, my goal with even doing this podcast is I love the information about firms and what has made them successful and why and what's the differentiator but also how how people have been able to blend that in with their overall balance of their life and their well-being because we we do see a large percentage of individuals in in the industry who work extremely long hours and are not able to find that balance towards taking care of themselves physically and mentally and finding that balance with their families and and I just love that although you didn't at first I love that you recognized the impact of not doing that and then changed your trajectory in your profession but then with your career and your staff have encouraged them to not make the same mistakes and that is just like to me i find that profound and i'm so appreciative of you joining and sharing your story i think it's amazing um, thrilled to be working with you and have you on the podcast i, I think our listeners will enjoy this but um Steve, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for your story again. And we will talk to you again soon. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you.